I'll start. My name is Rod, and I like to party. So you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, church planner. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition with your host, Robert Frazier. I'm the other guy. I love I love the other guy. He's so great. People talk about the other guy all the time. That's right. That's right. Uh, Especially if you listen if you listen to the Monday edition, you know that they don't even know Tim's name. They just call him the other guy. That's right. <laughs> I love the Monday edition. <laughs> and Paul are two of my favorite podcasters ever. <laughs> Paul's the best. He's just he brings he brings so much great information. <laughs> oh, Peyton and Pete, we're we're really not joking though. Like we 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 sometimes forget your names and it's tough. You know, we're getting old. We're both in our forties now. Oh my gosh, I'll I'll tell you what, man. My I feel like my body is like literally just disintegrating. I hit forty this year. And every time I turn around, something hurts that didn't hurt before. I can relate. I did we talk about my ankle last time on the show? Um, I don't. I, I, yeah, did you, you hurt playing soccer? No, I didn't hurt it at all. I went to the doctor because I thought I had like a stress fracture, and they told me no, that's arthritis in your ankle. And I was like, arthritis? And they go, yeah, you're forty. And I go, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> And so now I have arthritis in my ankle and it hurts all the time. So welcome to old age. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't want to start the podcast by, by you know, trading infirmities. And <laughs> Talking about our medicine. So, so, yeah, so I'm just going to say I've never felt better. Um, I feel great. Um, it's probably from all the devotional reading uh, that I've been putting in. Because um, it does reverse the aging process, and you know it heals cartilage. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know that if you sounds know that. sounds about right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I heard once there's this story of Rory McIlroy, and he hit a a beautiful shot, and the guy next to him said, "How do you do it, Rory?" And he said, <laughs> "Church going and clean living." <laughs> and I I think that's it. And that's that's how you beat that's how you beat Father Father Time, as you go to Jesus, right there. Well, what have you been up to, man? Anything good this summer you've been doing? Movies you've seen? Yep, yep. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Susan and I went on a little vacation. Um, everybody was off, uh, you know, like, like camp and mission trips and with grandparents and so forth. So we spent a few days uh, in Manhattan. We did a Broadway show. We um, went to to the Met. Um, and we, we also caught the movie Oppenheimer. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, did you go on opening night to Barbenheimer and see a double feature? Or? Um, yeah, the, the Barbie. We went to Barbie first. No, no, we didn't. Of do course. That. <laughs> we didn't do that. Uh, it was, it, I mean, I, I I was taken by by the fact that they both opened on the same day and, and that whole uh, cultural moment. I was like, what do they call it? Barbenheimer? Yeah, Barbenheimer is what they've been calling it. And yeah, I have not seen Barbie as well. Although... Everybody who's seen it has been stunned by it. So like it, it has like a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like supposed to be really good. Who knows? That's what they say. That's what they say. My, my 15 year old uh, went with a bunch of youth group kids to go, to go see it last weekend. Um, he, he wouldn't give it 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. He was like, yeah, it was fun. It was okay. 
And I, and, I, and I tried to probe, like, did you understand some of the underlying, yes, the dad, cultural totally context. understood the underlying <laughs> themes, dad. And then, and then he started like, you know, like, like I, I, dad, I, I think they're overhyping that part. Like, oh, we got a, oh, we got a critic. Interesting. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't think a, a teenage boy would give you their honest answer. Like, unless, <laughs> unless they're very secure in their gender identity, I think that they would struggle to like fully embrace something that they found to be fun. That was seen to be very feminine. I'm just like, even men, even a grown men are like, like worried about being too into Barbie. Like there's a, I don't know. I'm just unsure. Now you've uh, got to see, know. like, you're going to, you're going to see if he listens to the soundtrack on Spotify and you'll be able to tell <laughs> if, if he was into it or not. <laughs> I keep an eye on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we did see the Oppenheimer, mo- Oppenheimer movie. Um, did you see it in IMAX? It was supposed to be the stunning, you know, 70 millimeter experience. We actually did. We actually did. We were up in the um, Upper East Side and there was a really nice IMAX theater that you could you could watch it in. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, an incredible movie, incredible acting, um, numerous affirmations and superlatives. It just it was just a little too long. No, I, yeah, I just saw it two nights ago, and my first thought was, "This is a stunning film." Like Christopher Nolan is a phenomenal filmmaker, and I've seen everything he's ever made. And this is one of his like best in terms of just the whole package. You know, he he's indulged. A lot of his films are pretty indulgent where he like takes one tiny idea and then like, you know, spins out on it. This is less that this is like an, like an expansive narrative cultural moment, like trying to reveal like in, in a sense, like the, the age of the forties and fifties in America and like the post-war moment, because it really is, a, it's a, yeah, like the, the bomb being dropped was actually pretty much after the war was finished. Like it was the, it was the exclamation point that helped Japan embrace their, their place as a defeated nation. But it wasn't, it wasn't what beat them. It was what convinced them to come to the table. You know, like yeah. it, it was, it's a post-war moment. And, and what you realize real quickly is that, the posturing around the atomic bomb itself is about the post-war moment. And it's about the new rivalry that's going to be unveiled in Potsdam and the new world order that's created um, by, by the relationship between the West and the East, uh, you know, fundamentally Russia and um, sorry, I'm turning out, do not disturb for one hour. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was a stunning film. What was your favorite part about it? Like what, what are you always going to remember from that moment? Um, I forget how to say his first name. Is it Celian? Celian Murphy? Yeah. The, the lead guy from, from Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, his, his acting in numerous scenes was just really next level. Yep. Very impressed with him. Um, you know, I, so I, I had read just a little bit about it prior to going in. Um, but I try not to read too much going in. Cause you know, like from like that old George Costanza or, or, or George's dad, um, you know, he wants to go in fresh. So I want to go in fresh. Uh, so I try not to read too much, 
But I, 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 I went in to know, I wanted to know enough of the context so I could appreciate it. I appreciated its, its struggle with, we just dropped two nuclear bombs on, on Japan and on these innocent people and how they were rethinking that in, you know, in, in, in the movie. Um, I felt that. And one of the pieces that I had read was like, it's so much easier to make a movie about World War II and D-Day and, you know, defeating Nazis and, you know, this type of, you know, nationalism is, is almost justifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we make a lot of these movies on the regular and, and many of them are, are ex- exceptional. And they had talked about like how making this, this particular movie and, and talking about uh, the, the bombs um, was untouchable in Hollywood for, for decades. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching it, I had this feeling of like being a bit unsatisfied with the bomb making. Um, like, like, mm-hmm. Oh man, like, I hope they don't go through with this, which obviously is a ridiculous thought. Cause you, you know, you, you, you know, know, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but you feel, you feel it as a you human. Know, you know what? I don't think that they actually captured is the national shame of it. I don't like, even though it was it was a triumphant moment, like they didn't touch it for a long time because Nagasaki and Hiroshima were war crimes. Like there's like there's no way of cutting around it other than we dropped a weapon of mass destruction on non-military targets on civilians and killed, you know, with 200 and some thousand. Um, it's there is some level of shame in that we're the only people on the human of the human race who have ever detonated right. nuclear weapons on the surface of the planet as a, as an act of aggression. And I, I, I feel like they kind of glossed over that because they made it about Oppenheimer as like a, it was a, a combination hagiography and also like a retelling of his, his political, um, positioning, finding ways to cr- to craft himself as a um, as a sympathetic figure, which which is what the story is about. Is this right. how does he craft himself as a political figure, um, and and how does he absolve himself of the shame of what what happened with the bomb? That you know he even though he regretted on some level what happened afterwards, he was a full participant in it from the beginning. He saw it as a way to um, he saw it as a way to deal with Nazi Germany and Japan was the unwitting victim of it in some way where he was he was focused on Adolf Hitler and the you know so many of the physicists who worked on it were Jewish and so it was easy to co-op them as a right. as a way to deal with anti-Semitism in Europe. Uh, I, yeah, I, I keep thinking about the film and I, it feels like they, they miss some tonal thing that I'm, I'm still kind of piecing through. You know, one of the things I keep thinking about is, and, and this happens in churches, this happens in companies, this happens on, this happens in major, in, in all sports. When, when they're done with you, they are really done with you. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Oppenheimer struggles with that, you know, like they're, they're done with me and I don't want to ruin too much for people who haven't seen it. Um, but I think it's in the preview, like, like there's like Einstein is, is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just like, Oh, like a cute little cameo. Like, no, he's actually a, 
a character in and out of the movie and there's a moment where you're like oh wow that that, that just came full circle um so I'll be I'll probably be thinking about that 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 was speaking to me as a person like man when the, when when the thing is done with you is done with you um, yeah but I don't know that, that that was that was that was barking pretty loud yeah and I I think that like if we bring that back to ministry there's going to be a moment where the church doesn't need your best your best work anymore and it's not going to fit the needs of the church and organization and they're going to stop paying you to do it yeah and even even those who you know you're you're going through a transition at Grace Chapel right now where your senior pastor has said he's going to he's transitioning out in the next year and everybody wants Brian around because he's such a great voice and you you want him around and even uh, Gordon McDonald who was there in the past is has still some influence over the organization but yeah. at some point your day-to-day participation in the work is no longer necessary and maybe even you know at times like a lot of senior leaders are finding that their presence is actually a detriment to the mission yeah and what are you going to do how are you going to how are you going to shape your identity and how are you going to create a new life after the role and for a lot of church planners that's why they either stay in it or get out of it is because they're not getting from the role, the sort of identity that they were like trying to grab hold of in it. Did you, did you ever watch a fat man and little boy, the 1989 uh, Paul Newman film about the, the bombs? No, I haven't. It It's a phenomenal film. Um, and it actually it probably is what you wanted Oppenheimer to be, which mm-hmm. was like about the engineering problems and the, the setbacks and like the, the, the technical part of the story. And there's, there's some hand wringing over like what it means and, and what, what it will mean at the end, but it's, it's much more of like a, a wartime thriller sort of film. Um, Almost, almost even like a star Wars kind of film because it's about like overcoming this like powerful enemy through, you know, engineering and sacrifice and, you know, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So if you haven't seen it, you should go watch both. I think, I think it's great. Um, Oppenheimer, you know, read the reviews so you know what you're getting into, but it's, it's a great film. I saw an IMAX too. I'd recommend seeing an IMAX. My favorite part of the film is right after they detonate at Los Alamos. And there's the moment where the light is shining and they all turn around to look at the plume and then the blast of the air moving towards them overwhelms them. And it's like, like there's, they really, it felt like they juxtaposed the beauty and destruction all in yeah. like this perfect moment. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Stunning. If I can give one quick warning to, to those um, who have not seen it yet. Um, okay. Y- you have watched all the funny parts in the preview. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, just know you're, you're going to a serious film. So, so, so just, you should really know that I, I, I as serious of, as it was, I thought there was going to be a little bit more of that Matt Damon comedy. Uh, no, like, no, no, that was it. Yeah, it was that one line you it, heard in the preview. That's yes, it. he is. He is a, a dry military figure throughout the film. And yeah. there is some humor in that, but it's not a lot. There's there's not a lot there. Um, and it is a three hour runtime and 25 minutes of previews for the IMAX. So yeah. just make sure to. Get get yourself a, a snack because it's a it's a long one. All right, man. Um, you ready to jump into our topic for today? I am. I am. Great, Scott. 
it's time for this week's topic. All right, Tim, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, podcasters, uh, podcast listeners know that we are just entering uh, the early stages of talking about church planting nuts and bolts, uh, church planting 101. And we're going to be doing that for the remainder of the year here on the Wednesday edition. Uh, now, we're going to be talking about church planting nuts and bolts, but we suspect that we are also going to be talking about all the wonderful qualities about church life. Uh, so just because you're not planting a church right now, do not tune out. There'll be plenty for everybody. Yeah. But we want to talk about things like calling today. We want to talk about things like innovation. We want to talk about spiritual gifting. We want to talk about all sorts of community life, mission, all those wonderful uh, conversations that uh, that church planting brings out uh, that has a universal uh, understanding, uh, regardless of where you are in ministry. Uh, but today, uh, how, how exactly do you want to frame it today, Robert? Well, let's let's start by this this week and next week are going to be two um, kind of two sides of the same coin, and this week is going to be all about here is the reason the reasons why you should plant a church, and we're going to talk about the big, very beginning of the journey, the calling stage, and for those of you who are in that pre qual pre-calling sort of moment and trying to figure out, Hey, I have this inkling that God's calling me to do something, but mm. should I really do it? Um, many, many people, many of you have probably been in that moment where you've, you've sensed that God was bringing you into a new season, but you haven't known what to do. And so that becomes like this searching moment. Um, probably before you've Tim, probably before you've taken every job, you've had like a moment where it's like, you know, that that season is done and it's like, okay, what's next for, for me. Absolutely. What's your, what's your general process when you're trying to discern like God's calling and God's, God's voice. And actually let's, let's go all the way back. When did you first sense God's calling to full-time vocational leadership? I was a senior in high school and I, I didn't love, I was a good Christian kid, good, good youth group kid, all that stuff, but, but I didn't love church. I didn't love church life. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those youth group kids who, you know, recommitted his life, I don't know, four or 500 times, mm-hmm. uh, church camps, loved them, loved hate relationship with them, you know, two week high after camp, all that stuff. Um, but my senior year of high school, I really, I really started having a healthier, growing relationship with Jesus in a really meaningful way. And it was in that year that I started to feel some type of a pull towards some type of vocational ministry. Um, and I wasn't so much enamored with the idea of like, oh, if you're a pastor, you get to tell everybody what to think. Like I, I, I knew, I knew that wasn't the pastorate. Mm-hmm. And also at the time, I was going to be. I, I started off as a biology major because I was going to. Like my plan was to be a dentist. My dad's a dentist, and there's a, a whole a whole story around that. Um, and so I struggled with that for a bit. And then my second year of college, I changed majors because I, I really sensed that this was that this was not a passing phase. That, that God was calling me, and I kept trying to resist it, which is part of my my pattern. I try to resist it. Um, it's, it's still there, so I so I, I take it I take it seriously. Um, I start really praying about it, start talking to people about it. And I, I just kind of go through this slow process of, all right, if this is really a calling, like I try to test it. If this is really a, a calling, then I, then I have to embrace it. And, and, and by then you want to, like, I, I, I was really excited about the whole thing because I was convinced that this was truly a an invitation from God 
uh, to go into the ministry. So, so that was my process. It was like, but it took me a couple of years to be honest. What was yours? Yeah. Um, I've got got several calling stories. Um, most of them start in the same way where I resist, I resist God's calling. Um, my, my father was a pastor. And so I was really trying to get out of the family business. Um, partly because of all the, all the jokes and partly because of, uh, I, I had seen all the pain of ministry and I didn't see a lot of the benefits. So it was hard for me to, I think, I think a lot of people look at ministry as something, especially if you haven't done it, haven't been close to it. It seems like something that's full of impact. And in reality, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And so I, I just saw the difficulty and I had a hard time seeing the privileges and benefits of it. So I was like, no, not doing that. And when I was when I was 18, I was actually running away from God. I was not walking with God at all. And I went to a young life camp to try to make out with this girl, which, you know, of course, that's what you do at Young Life Camp. Is yes, yes. Meet and make out with girls. Um, and I was there, it was it was winter, and they have that, hey, you're just gonna go outside and spend 10 minutes talking with God. And so we're it's it's like negative 15 degrees in January in McCall, Idaho. It's mm. the coldest place you've ever been. And I'm staring up at this, you know, clear icy sky and God, I go, God, what do you want with me? And he just, right. he spoke really clearly right at me that I had this calling and I was like, Nope. See ya. <laughs> and I just like, I literally walked back in my cabin. I go, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> just lied about it. And then uh, what happened was I came back to Christ a year later um, during college and got a year and a half later, God was just transforming me. And what I tried to do at that point was I said, God's called me, but I'm going to try to do it any way I can to not be a pastor. Like that was like the goal was I'm going to do ministry without being a pastor. And God really took me into the space where he taught me how to make disciples and live as a missionary with crew, which was phenomenal. But for me, it it always starts with resistance. Um, But I I know like there are better people out there, you know, the, the Samuels of the world who wake up and go, I'm here, Lord, send me, you know, like that's, there are those guys who, who want to hear God's voice and want to do like, really want to please him. And I've never had that, that sort of like willing heart. God has to drag me along. And like, even, even when I took the role planting the campus for Grace Chapel there in Boston, um, it really, Oh, I've got, I've got a superhero here with me. Uh, uh, he, God, God brought me along and he, he drafted me into a role that was perfect for me. Cause he knew that I, I'm not a willing participant. I have to be drug into these things. Um, and, and when I planted our church, actually what, what happened was I got a call from my, my sister. Okay. Hold on a second. Yeah. I've heard the story a few times. I'll fill in for you. He gets a call from his sister that that says, hey, the preacher didn't show up and you need to come right now. And <laughs> that, no, no, do not, right do not now. listen to, to Tim. He's... And he was like, you know, that's a sermon that I have ready to go. Right. <laughs> no, no. What and happened was my, my sister's senior leader called me up and said, hey, we have this role as like an executive pastor. And I was like, that's not a good fit for me, but I'll take the call because of just friendship. 
And we, we have a 90 minute phone call. And at the end he goes, I don't think this is the right role for you. I go, you got it. This is not the right role for me. And he said, Hey, I think you're a church planter. And if you want to plant a church, let me know. And I'd never even thought about it, even though I had been around church planting my entire life was not even on my radar. And it was like a virus bit me and Mm. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I told Malia about it. She goes, that's weird. And then like three weeks later, she goes, honey, we need to talk. And I was like, oh, geez. And she goes, there's been like 20 church planning books that have come from Amazon this month. Do we need <laughs> to talk about this? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Problem. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it always starts with like this, like I have to be brought along by the father in these things. Yeah. Um, and it's really easy to like, the reason why we're talking about why not to plant a church is next week is because I think that there are a lot of great reasons to plant churches. And most of the time they get buried in um, a lot of cultural baggage. And so I want to start with like, why do we plant churches? I believe that church planting is vital, but I think that is different than most people think. Uh, Tim, you've come out and you, you've seen, uh, we have this movement in Boise, Idaho called the City Network. And we've seen 70 churches planted in our city over the last six years. It's been this amazing thing that's happened. And this, this, I, I believe in church planting. I think that it's, it's a powerful thing. Um, and I, I think that in general, people frame the way that they think about church planting as starting organizations that then become this place of ministry in a city. Like it's, that's the way people think about it is you send a church planter so that they can start a church. And then that church will be an institution in that place and it will have effect over time. And sometimes, you know, we've, we've kind of, we've kind of traded that for, and maybe they'll, maybe they'll be really successful and maybe they'll reach a bunch of people and maybe a bunch of people will come and it will become this cultural phenomenon in this town. And it will have movement that, 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 uh, catchphrase movement that we all use. But for my hope, when, when I talk about church planting, my real desire is to see people primarily the church planter and their group of friends receive from God their marching orders that every follower of Jesus should have. And that's an invitation to see ourselves as belonging to the mission of God. What Alan Hirsch says is that God has a mission and that mission has a people and that people are the church. And we belong to the the mission of God, which is that we are sent forward to live as missionaries, to be the the presence and the um, really the start of God's kingdom uh, coming to to life and coming to power in places by us belonging and being in place. And so, what happens when you when you church plant is that you receive from God a calling to go and to live on mission, and to ask God, where should I go? And then you go where he sends you and you invite people to participate in this calling and this, this work of seeing the kingdom of God come to life. And what happens when you plant a church is a bunch of people learn to live as missionaries. They learn to share their faith. They learn to invite boldly. They learn to speak clearly about the gospel. They learn to make disciples. They they learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. And they look back at Acts 2 and they ask, what's the, what's the powerful thing that's happening that creates this movement that transforms the world? And so church planting does this powerful, powerful thing. I think the number one reason we do it is because it transforms us 
into the kind of people that God wants to see in the world. Um, so, so that's, that's number one for me, Tim, any, any thoughts? I, I just, I, we started off heavy there, but we went for it. Yeah. I love that. Um, so much, so much richness there. I, I would say as much as I want to affirm all, all of what you said, um, I'll, I'll go to number two, uh, for me, you know, we, we need more churches. We need new churches. And even though I'm part of a an older church, a traditional church, and it's a multi-site church, I get excited every time I hear one, about one of my friends' church planting. Because uh, we need, the kingdom of God needs new churches. Um, I don't, um, if, if we can have, if we can reserve some space in every podcast to turn away subscribers, I'd like to take advantage of that. Let's let's um, do the turn away subscribers section. Yep, now. yep, yep. <laughs> I'm not sure we need that many more churches in Atlanta, um, in, <laughs> uh, in Orlando. Well, maybe okay. Orlando, but um, but like in a lot of these like in Christian Dallas or yeah, Houston, clubs, just you know, I'm not saying <laughs> you can't have any, just maybe not at the same rate. Um, and if you could take some of that energy and come to Boston and plant in New England and plant in New Jersey. Man, that'd be really great because the kingdom of God needs new churches and church planting is, 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 oh man, that's, it's a gift, especially in places like the Northeast where I am. Uh, so yeah. we need that. Um, so it, it does transform your life as Robert is saying, and it's, it's an extraordinary need. I think one conversation that I've been around uh, when I, I've seen friends try to discern the calling of whether or not they're supposed to plant you know, late at night, you know, when they're, when all the honesty is coming out and all the resistance is, is coming out, you know, they'll say something like, I just don't know if anybody's going to come to this new church plant. And that's one of my, that's one of my fears. And mm. I've been around like really great elder voices who have often said something like, no, that that's always like the unique surprise is is that people have been waiting for you to start this, this new church Yep. in order for them to experience the kingdom of God in this way. They're, they're waiting for your yes. They're mm-hmm. waiting for this church plan. And not in like in some like, you know, cheesy savior type of complex. No, like, no, just, no. Just in a new thing that is needed and people will find it and people will find you. And I, I've seen that become reality, you know, sets of times, to be honest. So well, I think that every time you see a church planted in a place, what you're going to find out is that the spirit of God has been at work. Yeah. Spirit of God is to- like tilling the soil, planting seeds. And the church planter, when it shows up and does the right work of sharing their faith and inviting people to follow in the way of Jesus, what they find is they're not creating that activity. They're not creating desire in people it's already latent in them it's the kingdom of god is drawing people the spirit of god is moving over all the earth and drawing people to himself and the question is when we show up like you know like we're getting into determinism i i don't think that they wouldn't hear if i wasn't there but i also think that my presence is a vital part of god's plan and so when when you show up it literally activates the seed it germinates the seed and brings it to fruition because of your presence and i i love that tim i i think you're right like everywhere you go and live on mission you see the kingdom of god start to sprout now every once in a while 
I will say like you find hard ground that's not ready. And I've seen some church planters that have done great work and given it a really good go and walk away saying this place wasn't ready for what I was bringing or I wasn't the right voice. And that can be true. Like, I think that we miss out or, or don't discern sometimes, but I also think that there are seeds that are planted and transform people, even when they don't come to fruition in that season. So it doesn't, it doesn't return void. So I love that. All right. So we got one, two, I'll, I'll give number three. And then, so you can think about number four as we go. Number three, what I love about church planting is that people who are sitting on the sidelines in existing churches will become centered to the mission when they join a church plant team. And what happens a lot of times is you've got a passionate center of a few people who join your team and then you raise up, you know, what we try to do is put you in front of people around our city so that people who are going to existing churches take up the call to live on mission as a part of a church plant team. And what we saw, we planted with about 40, 35, 40 adults um, with us. And about half of those were our friends and half were people from existing churches that were looking to make a difference. And that everybody who was a part of that team made a major jump forward in their discipleship mm-hmm. and in their intimacy with God. And it it transformed their lives to be a part of it. And they'll never be the same. And they'll probably talk about the season where they planted a church and and probably brag a little bit about how vital they became because that's the season of life where they felt the most connected to others and they discovered their calling. They discovered their gifting. Most church plants are going to help um, the leaders around them think through um, like what, what their best contribution is and how they can serve in a church plant. There's going to be people who would never get to preach or teach who will get opportunities to preach and teach because it's a smaller setting. And because the stakes are so low, it doesn't matter (laughs) in a church plant. Um, You'll have people who will be elders and deacons and leaders who would never belong in that role in a larger established church who grow into those places because of it. So I, I love what it does to the people who, who partner in it. Yeah. I'm going to lean into that for, for number four. Um, It's just a beautiful vision of the body of Christ growing. And, you know, I'm, I'm in this, I'm doing this graduate program on, on generational leadership and, just about every church plant that I know, I, I, I would have to actually think of an exception. I don't, I don't know of a single exception. Every church plant I know is being led by, you know, millennials mainly, um, and maybe a, a sets of older Zs as, as they start entering into the church planting world. And 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 this is an opportunity for for those those generations to 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 create culture, uh, to live out. Yes, they're Christian values, but but also out of like their generational values. Mm-hmm. And you know, millennials do an extraordinary job as a generation of for of advocating and justice work. And you know, we can have all the fun debates about all the other aspects of that. But you know, as a whole, you know, they're advocators. If it doesn't work for for my friend, it doesn't work for me. Is yeah. almost a millennial motto type of a thing. It's an activist generation where they look and they say, I'm going to be the change I want to see in the world. That's kind of the yeah. motto of millennials. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, what, what you see often is, you know, you have, you know, wonderful millennials in traditional churches that that feel unheard and, and a bit stuck. 
Um, and and they, they actually, many of them like being part of a multi-generational context, um, but some of them are going to find their own calling uh, to leave that established church and join a church plant and live out some of these values that, that they've been waiting to live out. And, and when done well, when done led by the spirit, like this is a healthy, this is a healthy momentum of the body of Christ at work and the body of Christ growing. Um, I know next week we want to talk about like the, the unhealthy parts and the dysfunctional parts, but if I can just, just tie this up with this thought, like, Whenever we leave or start something out of spite or out of bitterness or out of resentment, you know, we're probably going to discover that there isn't much Christian calling involved in that. And that that's more rivalry and that's more pride and ego. And if we can avoid those things and like really lean into what the spirit is telling us, really lean into the invitation that God has for us, man, great things are in store. And I would say it, it fills needs in the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll 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 do number 5 as kind of an extension of that. Let's go. If you look at the church and you don't like what you see. If you look around your city and you say the church isn't being what I think it's called to be or there's aspects of the church that have yet to be expressed in the way I'm hoping to see. I got bad news for you if you want to change existing churches. <laughs> it's really almost impossible. It does happen. And God shifts things over time. But if you really look at the history of most congregations, they're led by one generation from start to finish. And what's going to happen is after that generation dies off, that church will lose its place unless it does some real work at key moments along the way. Most churches are single generation or maybe two generation churches. And then they cease to have meaningful ministry and over time transition into a new season. And But here's the deal. If you want to see change in the church, church planting is the best way to transform the future of the church because you get to create your own calling and gifting and, and take that passion that you have about that particular set of issues, that, that vision God's given you, and bring it to life or try to bring it to life and be humbled by it. But if you want to see change in the church, it happens. That's one of the significant reasons we started the city network is we want to see transformation in the church. And we think that happens through new congregations, not old congregations. And what you'll find is that if you, if you do church in a different way with different values in the same place as older churches, the older churches around you will start following you because they'll want the impact that younger, um, younger impactful church plants around them have. It's it's this weird kind of like leader follow relationship where a young church with energy will actually have a significant effect on the ministry of the churches around them by by showing new fruit and new ways of doing ministry. So if you want to see change in the church, it happens a lot of the times through new expressions of the faith, fresh expressions of church planting and and uh and new church forms that happen in that way. Yeah. So that's number five. We got number six for us. No, no, I, th- I, I want to keep it at five. Okay, all right. Um, I, I did have I did have one question for you, as because I was I was there when when you were trying to discern your your call to to move back to Boise and plant that moment after you know Malia discovers the twenty church planting books, um, <laughs> you know that that are hidden under the porch. 
Um, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so many jokes I can make there. But, you know, I, think, I think we all know. <laughs> um, it's not the marriage I thought we were going to have. Um, from, from, from that, from that moment, how did how did you find yourself surrendering to this call? Like, what what were some of the practical steps, and maybe what maybe some of the realizations you had along the way? Yeah, um, well, th- there was a it's a long story, but honestly, a miraculous pregnancy yeah. that was a sign of um, God freeing us from our current ministry in Boston. It was basically like a literally putting out a wool. And saying, okay, God, if if you want us to be free to leave Boston, you have to provide for us having a family. And then we had a miraculous natural pregnancy that same day. I mean, like, like that. It was a weird moment that we had to kind of, yes, this this little nine year old staring at me right now is is that that miraculous pregnancy. Um, <laughs> it was your brother, but um, that that's a piece of it. The second, so once we had the pregnancy, we basically said, okay, let's start praying. Cause that's what you do to seem spiritual about something you're scared about is you start praying. We started praying. And then when the, when, when the pregnancy was viable, <laughs> that 12, 13 weeks, we looked at each other and we go, okay, we've got to, we've got to start talking about this. And what, what Malia and I did was we instituted a, a weekly time of listening and prayer. We called missional Mondays where every Monday we read a book, we talked about it, we read the Bible, we prayed, and we started praying for people of peace in our life. And we prayed for people who would join our team. And that was like the starting point. And as we were praying for people of peace, every single, it was like the Macedonian man calling in the dream in Acts. Every single prayer we had for the lost were people who we cared about in Boise, that we wanted to see the kingdom of God impact them. Every single prayer was for somebody that we cared about there. And that was a key way that we discerned the place was God was bringing us back to a place of fruitfulness in Boise. And then we invited our friends and really early we brought in um, the senior pastor and our, my direct supervisor at Grace Chapel. Cause I, even though I knew that they wouldn't like me leaving, I knew that they would like to be a part of what the future was. And yeah. so I invited them in really early into that process. That's not always safe. Honestly, you, if you tell somebody you feel called to church planting at some large churches and they may isolate you and kick you out before you can even plant because they're afraid yeah. of what it's going to do to them. So I, I don't, if you're in a safe place and you have good leaders, that's a good thing to do because you need those people on your team. We invited them in, in November, we decided to plant in April. So there was, or March. So there was four or five months of discernment together with them. And their response was, of course, we think you'd be great at church planting, but we don't want to lose you, but we think that God's into this. And that's how, you know, like they were real honest about this hurts us, but we think God's in it. Um, And as we started to pray and invite people, God brought friends along in the mission, which I think is a key indicator of his blessing is if, if you can convince other people to join your team, then you're clear on the vision and you have people who will trust you and follow you. If you're at a spot where people won't trust you or follow you yet, it means you're not ready to lead a community of faith. Mm. It's, it's a key way. I think if you can't raise money and if you can't raise up a team of people to follow you in the ministry, it's unlikely you're ready for that next step. 
And so that's a key indicator to me. We'll talk more about that along the way, but that's that that was our journey. That's good. I, I, I want to highlight one thing and and maybe as we uh, as we approach our our close here. I'm the discipleship pastor at my church. So like spiritual practices is not just something I talk about. This is spiritual practices are things that I I'm really deeply committed to. And and fasting is 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 one of those practices I I go in and out of, because mm-hmm. um, it just requires so much. It requires discipline, sacrifice. Um, you know, you're at your worst, you're at your best, all those things. And when we were discerning our call, like 12, 13 years ago, of whether or not we were going to leave this church in New Jersey, that was a safe place for us. It was a place of healing, and where we started our family and. All, all, all good things, but but you know uh, there is always some type of discontent that moves you to prayer and in, in discerning what could be next. And so there was some of that. And I, I came to the realization like I could really mess up our lives here if if we're not careful. We could mess up our lives if we're not careful. So I, I started fasting every Wednesday. Um and I know you're not supposed to talk about these things on a you know, whatever, but well, you just lost all of the spiritual value of it as soon as you said that you fasted and prayed. So yeah, I know. Well, I, I wonder <laughs> if like, like a decade later. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. My my mansion in heaven just, just got smaller. No. Um, but I fasted every Wednesday and it it, it really was a time of dependency for me. Mm-hmm. And there have been other seasons of life where I've I've done something similar um for 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 whatever reasons and and sometimes they did not it's not always about leaving um but sometimes they didn't quite yield the the go or the yes or the launch that it you know that you that you were discerning but what it always did was was confirm what god wanted me to be doing in that season of life and if if you can relate to this on some level maybe you are thinking about planting uh, may, maybe you're thinking about transition, a, a different type of transition. I, I'd, I'd encourage you to spend some time in the spiritual practice of prayer, meditation, fasting, if that's part of your process. Um, you know, w- what Robert and Malia experienced with these missional Mondays, figure something out on a weekly basis where you can really hear from the Lord and and stress yourself perhaps in a way that you know either you haven't done ever before or you haven't done in some time. Yeah, and I to tag on to that, I think some of you need permission to dream about what God could do. Mm. You're in a place where you just like you're so jaded that you're like this is all that there is in the spiritual life. And maybe God is starting to birth a vision or like some dream, some whisper of a dream of what the kingdom of God could look like if you surrendered yourself to that call. And I want to stoke that fire and say, ask God to give life and and to bring meat to the bones of that vision and to and to let you dream about what that could be because it's in those holy moments of envisioning that God brings to life this call and this this really cool thing that happens and if you're in the midst of your um oh thanks buddy if you're in the midst of your planting journey and you're trying to figure it out 
take a second, follow us on Instagram at Church Planter Podcast and drop us a DM and we will pray for you. We'll pray for you in your process. And you can even share with us your questions in the church planting journey because we we want to help you. We want we want to help you get where you want to go. Okay, love you. We got a little superhero going to bed here. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Tim, before we go today? No, I, I, I think I think that was a I think it was a great last line. Thank you. All right. Well, friends, thanks for joining us today. Remember, if you want to reach the people no one else is reaching, you got to go where no one else is going and do what no one else is willing to do. We love you, friends. Keep dreaming. Keep following Jesus. Get out there. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Church Web Builder. If you've been meaning to scrap your terrible WordPress church website, or you just need to actually sit down and make your church plants website, let this be assigned to you. With Church Web Builder's library of church-specific templates and integrations, and the included all-in-one marketing and communication platform, a beautiful new website is literally sitting there waiting for you to take it. Go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER at checkout. You'll get 50% off your first year. Yes, 5-0. off your entire first year. Again, go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER. For more from the Church Planter Podcast, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Church Planter Podcast and on Twitter at CPlanterMag. We'd love to connect. See you next time.